They say that one of the best ways to serve others is to figure out who was the person that you needed to hear from at the times in your life when you needed it the most. What was that voice? What did they say and how did they say it? And once you figure that out, to go be that voice for others. One of the hardest parts of this exercise is acknowledging that our lives have not been perfect and looking back upon our lives and identifying the times when it's clear that we really needed help. Maybe it was because of our own behaviors spiraling out of control, or maybe because of things that happened which were not within our control to begin with, but determining the points or periods in our lives which were forks in the road and which we chose the wrong path. Looking back, who is the person that, if they were standing at that fork, we would have listened to? And what would they have said or what would they have done? And the other part of this is that being that voice is meaningless unless your actions back it up. Acta non verba. Act, not words. If you're going to talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. Today's guest is making it his life's mission to be that voice. The voice that he needed at the times he needed it most to other men through both his actions and his words. Shane Beckham has been a decorated Marine, a firefighter of the year, a Spartan athlete, and a decorated member of the asphalt and construction industry. He has also battled abandonment issues, alcoholism, and anger issues, which led to a life out of control and the perpetuation of negative behaviors learned from his father. Through all of the failures and mistakes in his private life, he publicly built up a stellar career in the road construction industry until recently, after 20 years of dedicated service, Shane retired to pursue a higher calling, the service of others. Shane is now the proud owner of a Fit Body Boot Camp in Hendersonville, Tennessee, as well as a co-founder of a free online community of men sharing their struggles and their successes and seeking to become better every day. Shane has a beautiful wife named Leslie, who has supported him in pursuing his passion, even if she didn't quite understand it at the time, and who is now undoubtedly his biggest cheerleader. He also has three kids with whom he is dedicated not only to making up for lost time, but also to ensuring that not one more moment moving forward can ever be characterized as lost. Shane has a powerful story of pain, loss, defeat, failure, redemption, and resurrection. And he is very clear that nothing in his upward trajectory would be possible without his faith in God and in Jesus Christ. This was truly one of the most enjoyable conversations I've ever had, and I'm excited to share it with you now. Welcome to The Father's Calling. Hi, Shane. It's really good to see you again, man. I'm really excited to have you on here today. For our viewers and our listeners, I just kind of let everybody know that I first met Shane through the um, Battle Ready program, which is, um, it's now the Agogi, but it's um, a program owned by Bedros Koulian and some of his partners, fitness, nutrition, mindset, and, and in that program with our weekly mindset calls, I had the opportunity to hear a call that Shane led, and um, in that call he told his story. And when you told that story, it really resonated with me for many reasons. And so when I decided to start this podcast, I thought, 
honestly, you were probably the first person I thought of outside of my very close circle here in, uh, at home. So, so I'm excited to have you here and I'm excited that you've agreed to share. And, uh, I think we could probably get started by just asking you to share your X-Men Wolverine origin story. You know, what made Shane Beckham, who Shane Beckham is today? How did we get to this point? Sure. And again, I appreciate the opportunity to share. Um, watching your story so far has been uh, also very welcoming. So appreciate you as well. Uh, so, you know, that's a lovely question. And, you know, the easy answer is this version of me is something that I wish that I could have found 20 years ago, 30 years ago, something that just I knew was inside of me, but for some reason, I have been very guilty of self-sabotage for a big portion of my life. I'm not really sure why. I'm still seeking that answer, still seeking that resolution. But when you asked me to come on, I thought, you know, there's a lot of a lot of bad that I'm going to share about myself that doesn't make me look like the greatest human. But it's like when you and I talk offline or if I talk to other men or anybody that I try my hardest to be a voice to people when when others want to put their blinders on, right? And we're all guilty of that. We all have those friends or family members or cousins. We know that they are seriously in a bad place. But what does human nature tell us to do? Turn our heads, look the other way, let them figure it out. You've tried a couple of times. It didn't work out, right? So it's in our nature to give up on that person, no matter who it is. I have friends in my life now that, you know, my wife asked me, I can't believe that you're still friends with them or attempting to be friends with them. And my answer is always, I never had somebody that truly was my torch carrier, someone that was there for me through all the times, not just the good ones, but from the bad ones as well. So to get to where I am now, this kind of just is a much different, better version of myself. I still have a long way to go, but this is a much better, cleaner version of myself than I have been in my entire life. I just turned 47. I'm in the best shape of my life, have a great marriage. A lot of things are going in the right direction. However, my life has definitely not always been that way. So what I get asked is, how did we get here? How did we get to this version? Well, I like to take it back all the way back to my childhood. I grew up in, as you can tell, I'm not from the Northeast. <laughs> Very thick accent. I have found that there is a particular dialect that only exists in a very small section of western Kentucky where I live. I have not found it in any other portion of the state of Kentucky, nor anywhere else. I've been to almost every state and everybody looks at me like I'm an alien. They're surprised I have shoes. They're surprised I have running water. And I'm like, I'm not a hillbilly. I'm just country. So go There's way a lot back. Of that here in southwest Louisiana too. <laughs> I believe it. So go back to my to my early childhood days and this was not just me. This was the time born in the in the you know mid to late seventies. There was a lot of just general poorness, right? And we were poor. And to the level now that we would probably be considered 
off the scale, off the charts board. But back then, it wasn't recognized as much because nobody, you know, not everybody had as much. So, you know, I tell people a funny story. When we would eat, for example, for lunch, I would have dry Cheerios. For, for supper, dinner, I would have Cheerios with milk on them, right? That was how we ate. And that wasn't just once. That was nearly every day. I'd have peanut butter and crackers. And every now and then we'd get a can of tuna, which was like a delicacy. But we didn't know any better. I didn't know I was poor. I didn't know that. But I was little at that point. As I grew older, I started to figure out maybe we are poor. Because the little house that we had, it would we had this one, one wood-burning stove that was sat in the living room. And that was our only means of heat for the house, which meant A... We had to cut wood during the summer to heat our house. So I started learning the value of hard labor as a child, which I'm thankful for that. But it would be so cold back in our bedrooms. I remember, and I I told this story recently, we would have literal ice cubes hanging off of our screw, the screw-in fuses, the old ones. There would be ice hanging off of that fuse box. It's a miracle it didn't burn the house down, but we're still here. But, you know, I started to realize we're poor and that started developing for whatever reason i think as i look back a little bit of a chip on my shoulder at that point in my life as i started to get a little older and started to notice things like i'd go to school and our and just we just had halloween literally i have pictures of me unknowingly embarrassed now you know i went as a damn bag of alpo dog food we cut the arms and legs out. I was a freaking bag of dog food for Halloween. That's what I went as, you know, because we couldn't afford a costume. So I'm saying all that to say that instilled in me the avenue of greed. And I didn't realize it until much later in my life. That made me have a very big part of the chip that I carry on my shoulder for greed, desire of money. You know, the Bible teaches us that money is not necessarily bad It's the love of money that's the badness. So many people cannot figure that concept out. If you're successful, the the Bible adores that. It's nothing wrong with that if you're a believer and you follow. But if you love the money more than you love God, there's where the problem comes in. Me personally, it's until recently, I think that I started developing that problem as a youngster. So there's one problem. Now, the other problem that I've learned later in life that still kind of messes with me is my dad, he's no longer here, God rest his soul, was an alcoholic. And for all the years of my life, except for maybe a six-month period, that's what I grew up in. He drank. Now, he held good jobs. He was successful, but he was just a functional alcoholic. He did good when he didn't need to drink for his job, but when it came time for the weekends, he stayed inebriated. That led to a young boy that never got played with. I never, I cannot recall one time my dad ever threw a ball with me or took me to a ball game or took me to the movies or did normal stuff now that I see. It just, and it also played into the generation that he was raised up in because he didn't have those things done with him either because that's just how it used to be. And I don't think my dad ever truly knew how to love. And I think that was part of his problem. I also think that some things happened to him as a child within his own family that affected him very traumatically. That I think I'm very fortunate that that cycle was broken. 
but I think it also caused him to have distance towards his own sons out of fear, right? Some of that's me speculating, but you got to imagine a kid growing up, you're a father, you know, I never felt like my dad loved me because he never wanted to play with me. He never wanted to hang out with me. He never wanted to do anything with me. So again, this is just continuously starting to build these chips on my shoulder that I don't have enough. I must always find ways to have more. Nobody loves me. Abandonment problems, right? So that was a big problem for me. Seeing that lifestyle, growing up in that lifestyle, I love a lot of my other family members. They're heavy drinkers still to this day. That's just what I grew up in. So what do you think I did? I started early in high school. I made good grades. I played sports, but I wasn't as disciplined in sports as I wish I would have been. But I also started drinking in high school. I was I was a, one of the party guys, you know, good time. And, you know, I allowed that to carry over into my older life as I went into the Marines. That lifestyle just continued. I want to go back to my dad one, one, one point because this is probably key, and I'm sorry I forgot this. So my parents got divorced when I was in the seventh grade. That did a lot of emotional damage to me. And even though my dad and I didn't have the greatest relationship, he was still my dad. I loved him. I didn't want this divorce to happen. After they decided to get divorced, I'll never forget this day for the rest of my life. My mom is an angel. My mom is an angel on earth, and thank God for that because I would have been in real trouble had she not been and still is. She was the filler for, for all the bad. She was always there for me and always is now, but I'll never forget this day because it's still I can still see it when I close my eyes, when I can just see it. Me and my mom were sitting in the living room, and Dad had been drinking. I was in seventh grade, give or take. And he came into the house. He was drunk. And my dad was, at this point, not really physically violent towards us, just emotional sometimes. He looked me and my mom dead in our eyes and said these words, I don't love you. I've never loved you. Get the F out of my house. I've never been able to forget it. I don't know if he even remembers saying it to me or her. Probably not. But when that day happened, it's like you said, flipping a switch. Well, the wrong switch got flipped in me. And from that day forward, I have to be very cautious with my life and my current wife and everything else because that instilled in me a wall so big to let someone all the way in that's still there today because it's I'm very guarded and protected. I don't act like I am, but that scarred me. That hurt me deep, and it changed me as a human being. I never really forgave him for that. And also, you got to understand, my dad and I's relationship, we didn't say, he did not tell me he loved me one time until I joined the Marine Corps. That's the first time that man ever told me he loved me, and I was 18 years old. That's the relationship that we had. And from then on, we said it every, like he would call me on the phone after that. And we said it every time we spoke, which is so bizarre. It's like he had to get, once he got past it. Now, me and my dad grew, grew closer as he got older. Now, he didn't really stop his drinking, but I just learned to deal with it and would spend time with him as I could. But that impacted me a lot, looking back on things that had happened to me in life. So, you know, we had gotten... 
when I was in high school, like I said, I was drinking. I would ride dad's horses. He would get pissed. I would come home and they'd be lathered up. We'd get in, you know, fist fights about it. Guns would get pulled. I mean, it was that type of just crazy mentality, lifestyle. And I was thinking to myself during all these experiences, there is no way I will ever be this kind of father. There's no way I'll ever treat my kids the way I've been treated. Well, let's go to my first marriage, right? Marriage number one. Got married in 1997. I was in the Marine Corps, and I was hell on wheels, buddy. I mean, just hard charging, ready to kill, and just that whole mantra of, you think of a, of a Marine, and I fit the mold during those years. And we didn't have any children while I was in the Marine Corps. I didn't want to. And, you know, I ended up getting out after four years, and we we drank and partied, and it was just a, a, not a great lifestyle to live Got back home to Kentucky, and my wife got pregnant with our first child. And I was very happy, proud, and somewhat reformed myself and did a good job raising her up to a point. And I don't know what happened, but I fell back into the drinking. The vicious life, the vicious cycle started all over again. I went to work as a firefighter. And, you know, electrician on my days off. So I literally was going, you know, we were poor again. Here I am in the same damn cycle. I'd get up, go to the firehouse, work a 24-hour shift, get off at the firehouse, take a shower there, go straight to my wiring job, and I'd wire till that afternoon, get off that afternoon, then I would go to medic class at night. Get off at medic class, and I would go to a tire plant and work as an EMT. Right, I did all of that, and I swear to God, I made thirty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> wow! I mean it. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to put myself in a grave, and I'm not, I'm working three and a half jobs. Something came along, and I got a better job, but that was a curse because it gave me that sense of power. That sense of greed came back, and it's like when one trigger happens with me, they all fire. So once the one domino fell and I was able to start making some money and start building some steam in my career, then these eyes started wandering, right? That's what happens next. Then, I, I mean, it just wasn't, I was not a good husband to my first wife. I cheated on her. This is no knowledge. I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't a good parent to my kids. We had our second son and, you know, things were already rocky. And I had started this vicious cycle of being very narcissistic as a person. Nobody was better than me. Nobody can do it better than me. It's my way or the highway. And I took that same mentality home every single day. And it did not end well. It did not end well at all. Again, this was the first time the cops came to my office. And I had a very professional job. The cops showed up in my office. There's an EPO out against you, and that's when it's... You know, I never recovered from this for a while. The EPO against me, I had no idea where my two children were. I go home, my house is empty, and my bank accounts are completely cleaned out. I got left with $14. So, this was all on the heels of separation. We had been separated. 
I I had found out that some other people were coming around. I showed up one day. Things did not go well, and that's why the EPO was issued. So here you go. I think that sets for a guy like me with all these problems. I'm homeless at this point, right? I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have any money, but you do what you got to do. I was able to, to, to call on some friends, sleep on some couches. You know how that's not very comfortable. That's not a fun way to live, <laughs> right? As you well know, and all. then, it, you know, then the alcoholism just took another, it just, I just grabbed another gear, right? All the while, I'm I'm maintaining and carrying big steam in my job somehow. So I guess my dad gave me that trait because I'm not missing a beat at work. They did this because I was successful. They put the blinders on and let me keep churning because I was making money. And they didn't care about my personal life. They cared, but they didn't care enough to help me. So I took a promotion at work after I got got back on my feet, met a much younger girl than I was. We started dating and we both probably should have parted ways before we ever got married and we both know that now. However, we didn't. I got promoted and moved. They moved me to Arkansas from Kentucky to run a division. When I got out there, I ended up getting married to my second wife. At this point, I am borderline out of control with my drinking and she also follows that lead and that leads to that leads to a lot of emotional mental and different kind of strife because we argued and fought to a level that is just looking back on it 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 just makes me almost just cringe it was violent violent arguments violent everything so won't get too deep in the weeds here let's just say in the state of arkansas we both saw the the other sides of the bars of the jail twice my work did this both times. Why? Because I was making them money. You know, God bless them. I had to do some like bullcrap application or something online and talk to a therapist in Wisconsin for an hour on the phone. And that was my punishment because this is my point. None of this was helping me, right? I needed to be helped several times in my life and nobody ever took me and shook me and said, what are you doing, man? They just kept putting gasoline on the fire. They just kept pouring it on. And I'm like, looking back down, I'm like, why didn't somebody step in that was close enough to me and punch me in the face? Do whatever you had to do to get me out off of this path of destruction that I lived on, right? Somehow we somehow me and my second wife managed to stay together. And I'm glad I'm very grateful that because we have that we had a child together. And uh, you know, Leah is my youngest child and she's a sweetheart. I love all three of my children dearly. I have a very much closer relationship with them all now, but you know, I said to myself when my youngest child was born, I'm going to change everything. It's time to grow up. I'm 36 years old at the time, it's time. That lasted about 90 days. I was working out after our last little treble treble spell. I was working out, cleaned it up for 90 days, and uh, I can tell you exactly, it's like any attic. They can tell you, I went to a crawfish bowl, and I remember telling my wife, I just have one beer. Well, that one beer was, back then, was all it took. 
and I was right back in that vicious cycle. And this time, it got worse. We moved back to Kentucky, and it progressively got worse to where I was starting to move into from just beer, which is what I primarily drank, into liquor. And the more liquor I drank, the meaner I would get, the worse I would get, the more violent I would get, the more holes that would be in the walls, the more stuff that I would break. And just this violence that lived inside of me that, that just came out, it seemed like, every single day. And my work was so stressful, and I was just in a terrible spot in my life. There was times that I really, truly didn't know if I wanted to continue it. And I don't know if I've ever said that out loud before, but it's the truth. And I don't, yeah. I'm not that person. I am not that guy, I can promise you. But I can, looking back on it now, there was days that I thought I'd be just about good enough to drive this damn truck off the cliff and some of this pain would go away, right? So I know I've kind of went long-winded in, in this no, answer. you're good, man. But you go to 2017, and that was one of the pivotal turning points in my life. Whether it was good or bad, I want to say that it was good, but it took me it took me from 2017 to 2020 to get fixed. But 2017 was the catalyst, right? This is you think you've been at the bottom floor until you actually are at the bottom floor. And I tell the people this all the time. I said, "Look, man, there's nothing that can happen to me now. I have been at the bottom of the barrel and licked it dry, and it tastes terrible, but at least I know what it tastes like because I'm never going back there again. Because it's terrible when you get to that point in your life. You're no good to anybody. Yourself, your kids, your family, your friends. You're not good to anybody. You know, you're praying, Lord, what do I do? So, December 24th, Christmas Eve, right? It started on the 23rd when around lunchtime on the 23rd, I decided to drink an entire bottle or two of uh, some form of bourbon. I'm not sure. And I drank it, all of it. At some point after midnight, which we're into Christmas Eve now, I uh, got angry, you know, caused a disturbance in my home with my with my second wife. And, you know, she called the police. Well, prior to her calling the police, in my drunken stage state, I had already called the police myself, drunk, mind you, and forced one of the officers to come to my home while I am drunk because I had found something that I didn't appreciate on a telephone. Well, me and someone else had gotten into a very heated text battle to where death threats had taken place. So this same cop, he comes to my house. I am drunk, right? It's so fu it's, it's funny because it's so stupid and embarrassing. I'm drunk. And he, he, I remember he turns his body cam off and he says, what in the hell are you doing? And I'm like, man, I, he's like, listen to me right now. He said, it's Christmas Eve. You got a family in the other room. This cop's in my house. They don't know he's even there. He said, go downstairs, go upstairs, whatever, and go to sleep. He said, you do not want me to come back out here. He said, I can't believe I'm not going to take you in now. He said, but it's Christmas Eve. I'm trying to do you a solid, right? Well, that didn't age well because uh, two hours later, all this goes down. I hear her make the call. I know I'm screwed. I go downstairs, and this is how drunk I was. 
I go downstairs, I get out of my clothes, I get in my bed, in one of my kids' beds downstairs. Next thing I know, I hear someone screaming at me in the dark, and it's a man. I wake up, have no clue or memory of what just happened probably five minutes ago, right? And I'm like, who are you? Because it's dark. And he's like, I'm like, who are you and what are you doing in my house? You know, I'm aggressive at this point. I'm in my underwear and I hear him saying something, you know, police department. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? Why are you in my house? And I, all of a sudden I hear him. He's like, I'm going to tase you. I'm like, what? So I'm continuing to move forward. Next thing I know, you hear the wonderful words, three, two, one, tase. So here I am in my underwear, in my own house, on Christmas Eve, lying in the floor with barbs inside of me, right? <laughs> Merry Christmas. I'm like, what the hell? So we get in the cop car, and I'm drunk to the point of just furious anger. I won't speak to him. So he takes me in this little holding area, and he makes me sit in the car. It's like 25 degrees. I'm in my underwear. We pull in. It's not inside. He turns the car off and leaves, and I'm out there shivering. But I refuse to give him anything at this point. Takes me into jail. I go in jail cell. I'm in my underwear. How do you think that looks? They don't give me a jumpsuit. So I'm in there in my underwear. You would think I'd be the only one in there on Christmas Eve. Nah. They keep bringing people in. Well, people started to try to attempt to fist fight me because they thought I was batting for the other team. So this night is going from, you know, just terrible to more terrible. I'm fighting random dudes in a jail cell on Christmas Eve while all three of my kids are waiting to wake up and see what Santa brought them. You know what I'm saying? As I look back on that point in my life, I'm 36 years old. How the hell did I get here? Right? How did this happen? How did someone not de you know, I'm not blaming anybody else. Look, this is 100% on me. I'm just saying of all my friends and family, how could we have gotten to this point in my life? And I'll never forget my friend luckily had enough cash to come get me out of jail. And it was late. It was late on Christmas Eve when I got out. He asked me to come stay with him. I did not want to be around another human. And this is not when I felt my lowest. When I woke up that next morning in a hotel room, it was Christmas morning, 2017. I woke up alone, hurting, and just full of such pain and agony by myself on Christmas morning and felt like an utter, just a failure of a human being. And I'll never forget that feeling. You know, like I said, there's a few things you don't forget. I'll never forget that feeling. But you think it would have changed then, but I wasn't ready for change. So then I just got mad. So instead of trying to seek solution, I saw anger and violence. That was my defense mechanism. That was just me like, I will show all of you disaster. Another three years of disaster. Now, luckily, you know, not long after that, I met I met who is now my wife, and she is my second angel outside my mom. And how she was able to withstand all that I did, the bad things that I did to her. I was not a good boyfriend you know, all of the anger that I had built up inside of me, all of the just 
anxiety and the only way I knew how to communicate was by arguing and fighting and yelling and she wasn't brought up like that. She was not used to that. She didn't know how to take it. And thankfully, God sent her to me and she, I don't, she'd have the patience now, but for those two or three years, she did. And I needed it. I needed someone to put their arms around me and tell me that they loved me and it was going to be okay and, you know, get all the crazy out of me. Looking back, I'm like, man, I was a maniac. I was insane. Like, how could I have been this person when I'm this person now, right? So 2020 was a good turning point for me and I started slowly turning it, but I didn't, I was unwilling to give up the drinking, but I controlled it in moderation, but I still drank too much. And fortunately, we decided to get married. And that was the final piece of the puzzle. You know, this is my third marriage. I'm not proud of the fact that I've been divorced twice. That's not something that I like to carry around as a badge of honor. I joke about it just just because my way of, of, of handling it. Like, I'm thankful for the events and activities that's happened in my life to lead me where I am now. But I'm, I'm embarrassed at the fact that I've had two failed marriages you know, that's not something that I wish to have, but, you know, we all hear you've got to marry the right person. And I'm not saying anything ill about my ex-wives. They just were not the right person for me. And it took me finding the right person for me to completely want to change and completely want to let my guard down and completely want to heal. So when we decided to get married, we had a while. We had a few more rough patches, but then finally in August of 20. Two, that's when I started looking for something to get back on track. And God randomly sent... I didn't have any social media other than LinkedIn. That's all I had. And Ray Cashcare randomly put a post up about Battle Ready. Yeah, what's this? Because I'm not one to click on ads and go do something. But for some reason, I saw that ad that day, and I clicked on it. And it took me to Battle Ready. And that's the closest thing to saving as I've had... I needed that way more than I ever thought I would. You know, that gave me the mental clarity and, and change that I had needed. I fell in love with Bedros. You know, everything can change in an instance. Well, for me, I needed it to change. And I finally stopped talking and started listening, and it did. So I know I've rambled a lot about the past, but, you know, and I've left out some of the stuff. But it, you can see the trajectory of my life. It's It's been this direction. Other than financially and work-wise, I've had a good run, but I've also, you know, messed up some pretty good positions to where I had very powerful positions that I just slipped, slip away because of dumb decisions. But since the time of meeting my wife, getting married and setting that date and joining that group of men, it's been the other direction. The, the needle was flipped. And I wake up every day and I'm grateful. I'm thankful to, to, to breathe there. I tell the Lord I wake up every morning. I don't, it's early. I don't want to get up at 3.30, whatever. But as soon as my feet hit the floor, I look up and I'm like, in my mind, I say, thank you for allowing me to take another breath on this earth. You know, I want to be somebody's, I want to be somebody's reason today, right? I want to be the, because I'm hard on my friends that are that act like I used to. I'll call them out. I'll text them. Why are you acting this way? You have to stop. You're you're in a path of destruction, you know, because like when you talked earlier, I never had someone come to me 
not one single time during all the years of my life and ever tell me what a train wreck I was. I have no idea why they did. I really don't. Work, friends. So, you know, no one ever gave me the opportunity to recognize what I already saw in the mirror. And I think I used that as an excuse. Well, if nobody else is going to tell me that I messed up, maybe I'm not that bad, right? You're always looking for that that other reason over here that this is the easy way. I don't have to admit that I'm being bad, so I'm going to take this path. So I don't know if that was any good, man, but that's kind of the story that, you know, led me to where I am now. Obviously, there's been a lot more changes since the battle-ready transition. You know, we're, yeah. you know, 20, August of 22, or September is when I really started the program until now. You know, I've ma massively changed my entire life. Everything about my life has changed. So, you know, that is really a godsend for me is finding I needed to find a group of men to where I could be a man and be held accountable. And yeah. I think maybe I could have done different if I would have found that earlier in my life. You know, social media has changed so much in a lot of bad ways and good ways. For me, this was a very good thing. So that's kind of what has led me to where I am now in a very long, long answer. <laughs> Powerful answer. That's uh, so good. Like so many <clears throat> important things that you said, um, you know, and, and I think that a couple of the things that really stood out to me, you know, why didn't someone punch me in the face? And, and, and my question to that is, at that time, would you have listened? Easy. I realize it's all specula speculation, oh, sure. but I'm curious, you know, would you, know you have listened at that time? Or did it have to happen that way in order for you to be where you are today? You know, that's a good point, and one that I probably don't think about enough. You bring up an excellent point. I don't really know how I would have reacted, because you you know as well as I do, until a man, woman, boy or girl, whatever the situation, until someone truly wants to affect that change, they're simply not going to change. Now, if someone would have knocked, knocked the hell out of me, Maybe that would have maybe come to my senses, but it also might have made me go the other direction and pull even farther back. Because I'm comfortable being a lone wolf, right? Because I have enough narcissism in me, and I recognize that now. It took me a long time, but I'm comfortable being on an island by myself. It doesn't bother me because I know I can survive. But it's like we get taught in all of, you know, the battery. Lone wolves have a place very rarely. You Most of the time, you need to run with the pack. And you need to run with a much stronger pack. So I wish that someone that had a group or someone that had a very strong connection, maybe that would have made me look at things differently other than the shock and awe is, and I, I, listen, I love church, but at the time I wouldn't have gone to a church group. That wouldn't have done it for me, right? It would have right. taken, it would have taken for me a, a group of alpha men because that's where I classify myself, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the box I put myself in to say, listen, listen, you're out here on an island. You know, you're eating all these little does and foxes and stuff. You need to come over here with us and become better hunters of the larger game. And I know that's a weird-ass analogy, but just focus is my point. The clarity and the focus that the group has given me, that's... I think what I was really chasing is just I was lost because yeah. of all these chips on my shoulder, right, that I talked about. They controlled me. 
they consume me. I let the, the, the been reading the book Outwitting the Devil. I love that book by Napoleon Hill. I've read a lot of books lately, but for some reason that book resonates with me more than a lot that I've read because it speaks so much about drifting and how the devil can take control of you if you drift. Brother, I've been drifting for 40, 40 years of my life. I yeah. was the biggest drifter that you've ever seen. And it's because I would not think for myself. I was always worried about what someone else thought, or I was always worried about the next next thing, or I should have gotten that promotion. I'm better than him. I had that mentality, and that's poisonous, right? I wasn't appreciative for what I did have. And because I kept that negativity inside my head and my heart, the only way I could shut the shit off was to drink. Yeah. Which is just the adverse of things of what I should have been doing, which was being grateful for what I had. And if I wasn't satisfied, A, how do I get from point A to point B and write that plan out and execute it instead of bitching about it? Or A to B, go do something else, right? I, yeah. to, I tell my kids this all the time. And when I learned this when I was a fireman, I had an old fireman when I was in a firehouse and we'd be doing something and somebody would start griping or complaining and he'd say, Joe, Joe, nobody's making you hold that shovel. If you don't want to dig that ditch, throw that shovel down and go find something else to do. There's no truer statement when people complain and bitch and all the everything they do. Nobody's making you hold, nobody's making you dig the ditch. If you don't right. like it, figure out something else to do besides digging that ditch. And I just, I was doing that. In reality, I was just digging it deep. I just was burying myself. So, hmm. you know, that's the answer to you is I don't know yeah. that the shock and awe would have got me, but maybe if I had searched in the right places or been pointed in the right direction, but it's a very specific thing that would have had to turn me because I was convinced that I was the best there ever was. Wasn't anybody better than me. And that's dangerous. That's poisonous. That's, you know, narcissism's a real problem. And it took me a long time to figure out that I was one. Yeah. I really uh, like your answer there because for me, I think I took a lot of punches to the face. It just didn't come in the form of people saying, get your shit straight. Except there was a lot of people saying, get your shit straight. Um, it, the punches in the face came in the form of losing jobs, losing friends, everybody walking away. And I couldn't be comfortable as a lone wolf. And I think that's what got me was when I was finally alone and it was clear that there was nobody coming to save me. There was nobody answering the phone if I called. There was nobody that probably looking for me. There was, there was nobody that trusted anything I said to the point where if they had found me, they would have looked me in the eyes. And I was truly alone that I, you know, and I needed that to be able to, to just trust completely in God and, and the only one that was still with me because I'm not, like I said, I'm not comfortable being a lone wolf. And I've learned that more today, you know, through this program, through other programs that I'm in with, with like-minded men. But you said something about, you know, it would have had to have been a group of of alphas i think that's really powerful because you know i was brought into um 
Gamblers Anonymous meetings. I was brought into Narcotics Anonymous meetings. I was brought into Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. And I think that all of those programs are incredibly valuable and help millions of people. For me, I needed more than follow this program and you'll wake up tomorrow. Right. I needed, or what may have resonated, like you said, is if somebody would have said, there is so much more than waking up tomorrow. Because I wasn't scared of not waking up tomorrow. You know, that, that wasn't the issue. I woke up today. I, I was convinced, and maybe that's a, a, a twinge of narcissism, I don't know, but I was convinced I was going to wake up tomorrow. Um, I was just tired of waking up the way I was waking up. Right. So so to tell me, hey, you know, you can just just one day at a time and... and and, and again, I'm not knocking any of those programs. I think that, that they have a place and that they, they are something that is needed for the people who need them. For me, I agree with you that if somebody had come along and said, hey, let me show you something awesome. And, and it was someone who I could look at and say, he's got something I want. Right. Other than he woke up today. So... You know, and I don't know that those programs, like things like that existed at the time. I think that's one of the great benefits of social media. As many negatives as there may be, and as there are, I think that that's one of the great benefits is that all of a sudden we're able to connect with people who we needed to connect with, right? I wasn't looking for anything. Whenever, whenever I saw a post on Instagram by the owner of my kid's school, by Matt Bodro, he was reposting something by a guy named Ryan Mickler. I checked out Ryan Mickler. I went for a walk, listened to his podcast. The podcast of the day was Ray Cash Cared, and he started talking about the Squire program. and And I was like, dude, like that's what I want for my boys. That's what I want to be able to go to show them, hey, this is what it means to be a man and to be around other people who are who are expressing that and. Then I came home and I and I and I thought, who the hell am I, right. to show my kids this if I've never done anything like this? And and so I called Ray Care that day and I signed up for the project. Awesome. And then imposter syndrome round two, like who the hell am I to go to this project? Like I was two hundred eighty pounds walking around the neighborhood. I've been on a broken foot without even realizing it for months. Walking around the neighborhood was about as far as I could get. And uh, and so I, I turn around and call Byron and, and schedule a battle ready. And and I've had this thought many times since then that had I found battle ready first, I don't know that I would have signed up for the project. Right. You know, I've had some delays because because my foot just wouldn't heal. But, but I signed up and I paid for it and I'm going in March. And I'm going to give it everything I got. But honestly, I don't think that I could get anything more out of that. I shouldn't say that because it'll be used against me. I know <laughs> I can get a lot out of it. And I do believe that, that, that there's so much more I can grow and so much more I can get. But for what I needed at the time, I think that the direction I was being led and getting involved in Battle Ready, getting involved in the Apogee program with Tim Kennedy and Matt Bodro, like very similar except it's not uh, fitness and nutrition related, it's more fatherhood related. Having that group of like-minded men to, um, to realize I'm not alone. Right. To realize that there are other people waking up every day, like you said, 
thanking God for being able to put your feet on the floor and getting after it. And, um, and I think that's would have been something for me that probably would have been the only thing that would have resonated at that time. Uh, yeah. It might've started with a punch in the face, <laughs> but it would have had to have been from somebody that I wanted to follow, you know? That's like, very true. That's a good point. And to, you're exactly right in, as far as the discipline and, and everything else. And I said, I was a lone wolf. I was, when it comes to men, I'm good at being a lone wolf or being by myself or striking my own path. Now, when it comes to relationships, I'm horrible when I'm not with someone. And that has led to a bunch of terrible decisions as well. You know, I, I cannot not have be in a relationship. And I'm not sure if that just goes back to, I'm not one of those guys to blame blame my dad. I don't know if that's just that deep-rooted abandonment problem. But, you know, to circle back to something you said, my youngest daughter's 10 years old, and she's turning into a preteen really fast to where dad's not that cool. And she was my little buddy. And uh, it breaks my heart that I let so many years of my life go with all three of my children, especially my oldest daughter and my son, because they're older. And I was a terrible father to them. What I wouldn't give to go back and relive those years with them when they were younger and take them to do the things that a dad should do because it's like I told you in the beginning, when I said to myself, I'll never be this person to my children, I'm not sure I wasn't worse. You know, I really am not sure I wasn't worse. And it, it that is, is just pain that I'm going to die with. And I'm not, a, I'm not, you know, trying to live my life in regret. I think that's a wrong way to look at it. But there is, there is pain of that regret. So when I hear people, the doctor, I can't think of his name. He talks about, you know, the power of discipline or I don't even remember the exact statement, but you know, the, the ending is, you know, the pain of regret. If you, if you put in the time today, you know, wait till you get the, the pain of regret. I have that. And that's where I wish that I would have figured out how to be a better human earlier in my life and alcohol. I blame it, but I can only blame myself for the consumption of it. It's just a vessel that I chose to use, but it, it, that lifestyle that I see so many of my friends still live in, it's robbed me of joy. It robbed me of taking my children camping. It robbed me of taking my children on the proper vacations or just playing board games or spending time with them because in my mind, I had provided everything. I put the roof on this house. I put the food in that table. I did this. I did that. Now it's time for me to have my weekend to where I'll sit out in the garage and work on something and have 28 beers and I could care less what you're doing when I walk in the house, what football game is on. That's where I wish I had to rewind, but I would still keep all the bad if I had to keep it. I just wish I could go back and be the father that I aspire to be now every single day. There's not a day in my life that I don't get up and talk to all three of my children through some point of communication. There were points in my life I didn't speak to my children for weeks. When I took the promotion and went to Arkansas, I had a decision to make. I could chase that money, that power, that promotion, or I could stay where my kids were. I chose to move from Kentucky to Arkansas, which was nine hours. I was nine hours away from my children, 
at times in their lives when they needed their dad most because they were growing up. Now, they had a wonderful stepdad, okay? But I was not there for my children, and I hate myself for that. And I don't say that in a way that's negative, but I do. It, it's fuel for me. It's fuel. Everything that I did in that list of shit that I talked about, I use it every single day of my life. People say, no, you don't. I said, oh, yes, I do. Every day of my life, I use some version of something that happened in my past, my children, the drinking, whatever it is. That's why I swing my feet off the edge of that bed at 3.15 and 3.30 in the morning. That's why I'm in the gym, because that is the, the foundational I'm building in my castle starts with the discipline of getting up out of bed and going to do the hard work in the gym. That gets my mind right for the, for the things that I have to do the remaining portions of my day. But there's not a day that goes by that I don't reach out to my children. I've developed a much, much closer relationship with my kids. Me and my son, we need to get closer. But my son probably took it the hardest just because I, I didn't show a son what a man needs to know. He doesn't know. I grew up farming. That's how I made money when I was a kid. I farmed. I cut tobacco. You know, we raised tobacco, hauled hay, cattle. You know, that's why I grew up on farming. You know, God bless my son. You know, I grew up going to the woods by myself with a shotgun when I was eight years old, squirrel hunting and, you know, doing things that we did as kids back then. I didn't teach him any of that. He And, I, you know, I didn't teach him how to change a tire. There's so many things I look back and I'm like, it makes me feel like a hypocrite for trying to take the platform that I'm taking now to teach men how to be better men when I failed my own son, right? Yeah. I struggle, I struggle with that every single day of my life. And I'm working every day to try to correct that. But you can't go back in time, right? Now, he's a good kid. Don't take me wrong. I love my son to death. I'm not saying that. But I wasn't there for him and when I needed to be. So... To me, that is the biggest regret that I'll go to my grave with. It's not the money that I didn't make. It's not the houses I couldn't afford. It's not the cars I didn't buy. It's the time that I that I could have been spending with my children when they were growing up that I chose to live for myself, right? That's what I wish I could go back and fix is don't be selfish, you know? There's plenty of time for you when your kids are grown and gone, take advantage of the time you have them now because you blink your eyes and they're 22 years old and, you know, life changes. But God, I would give anything to go back and never take a drink if that's what it meant, you know, to keep me on the straight and narrow. But to your point, and, I, and I'm rambling, but to your point. No, you're good, man. This is awesome. I don't think in a twisted ass way that I would be who I am today by any stretch of the word, had I not gone through every single detail of my life that put me here. Now, I'm not exactly sure what God's plan is for allowing all those things to happen, but I'm finding more clarity and purpose in my life now, and I'm also finding the, the ability to help other men, which is what I want to do. I love to help people. As you well know, I've left, I've left a career and, and going into a completely different field to help people. Because, and I think that goes back to not getting the help that I wanted. Maybe one random person I can help. That's why I tell my wife, if, if by me sharing the Bible that I'm reading in the group, if one person can get that Bible and receive Jesus, my work on this whole earth is done. One person, right? 
Yeah. And that's how I try to approach it now is I, I try to tell, I tell guys that I'm close with them. I try to be like the owl, right? I try to be more like the owl every day to just listen, take it in, let it soak. Don't be so quick to give advice. And when you do give it, make sure it's sound because everybody that you talk to on this planet, when they call you for a reason or text you with a problem, they're not really interested in what you have to say. They just want to talk. That's all they want to do. And if you'll just yeah. shut up and listen, 95% of the time, they'll fix it themselves throughout the conversation or tell themselves how you need to fix it or how they need to fix it, and you just agree with them, right? So I love yeah. that. Love that. Yeah. Um, so when you talk about this platform that, that you want to be able to help other men, you know, I, I know what you're talking about, at least in its current stage, but um, what is your, your plan for that? And what do you mean by that? That's fair. So, you know, one, you know, with the, with the, the fit body boot camp, you know, that's probably not going to be a ton of men, but uh, helping humans, you know, that's one big portion of it. But when you go back to the circle of fathers is, you know, I have to refine the story that I tell, but I really feel like I do have a story that resonates with a ton of dudes. And I feel like that eventually the, the right doors are going to open and God is going to show me the path to how to deliver that message to a lot of people. And I don't want to do it for any other reason other than to help people. Five years ago, I would have done it for the notoriety or the, or do I genuinely want to help men be better men and be better fathers, be better friends? Because I sure don't have all the answers, but I sure can tell you what not to do, right? I can tell yeah. you I've reversed engineered it. I did it the backwards ass way. <laughs> I can tell you how to do it the right way from the beginning, at least from my own experiences. So, you know, that platform, I'm not sure exactly what that's going to mean yet. You know, I keep dragging my feet on the podcasts, but uh, I hope to be able to do some speaking engagements eventually. Um, I love talking to people and helping. So I'm not sure what, what pathway that'll be, but I know when the time's right, it'll, it'll just like Jim. You know, you could, I would two, two years ago, hell a year ago, you know, I would have laughed at you if you said I'd be doing what I'm doing now. So, you know, as well as I do, everything can change in a matter of days. So hopefully, hopefully the good Lord will point me in the right direction and I can figure that path out. You know, it will. How you doing on time? I'm okay, man. I want to be respectful of your time. So, uh, just kind of brushed by this, but you... We're in a successful career in, um, in construction and you made the decision to, to end that career. How long ago was that? Like, when did you make that decision? So I made that decision, but I knew my wife would not be on me. My, my wife is very, <laughs> very risk adverse. So I don't like to not tell her everything, Yeah, but I did. I started doing That's their rich, good marriage advice too. <laughs> I started doing, you know, kind of a recon in January of last year. Okay. This year, so January of this year, 
I knew I had the photo shoot coming up in April of this year, or, you know, 2023. So in January, some things had happened at work that I, that I wasn't the happiest with. Again, maybe a little narcissism there, but there were some promotions or some things just didn't go the way that I expected them to go. And it's kind of like the second or third time that's happened. And I was like, I can retire very happy, very wealthy. And, you know, this is a good career. I've had good, good, good fortune. I have so many friends in this industry, a lot of, you know, close people and that I work with, but something was just nagging the hell out of me on the inside to, to chase something different. Like you, you can do more for the betterment of yourself, your family and others. You need to figure out what that is. And I think it all goes back to finding the program. You know, I know we're, we're not sponsored by anybody, but we're, we've talked about it because it means something to us. But I think it falls yeah. back into the Battle Ready program because if it had not been for that, I didn't even know who Bedros was before I got into that. No clue. Never yeah. heard of him. And that led me to him. And as I started listening to his podcast, that led me to Fit Body. So, you know, I got married to my wife December 30th down in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. And in January, you know, I'm already on the phone talking to a gentleman there and she doesn't know any of this. So you got to imagine when I finally told her that, you know, sometime around February, <laughs> hey, uh, I think I'm going to quit my job and, and open a gym. Literally, it, it caused massive, massive rift in my marriage to the point that I think she went stay with her mom for a little while. Like, this was not good. And at She's that point, like, you'd been like, like seriously working out, tracking your nutrition, all that stuff for about oh four yeah. months. Yeah, I'm, like well, I'm fixing Four months, and you're like, uh, this is my life now. <laughs> and that's kind of what she was like, What? who did I marry? This is not who I married. You know, so January of this past year is when I started doing the research, and then I started figuring out how to pull the finances together, what I needed to do. And then so we got through the turbulent waters, and by April was the photo shoot. I went ahead and signed the the franchise agreement the week that I flew to Chino to do the photo shoot. I signed on I signed the contract on Monday. I flew to Chino on Thursday. So Wow. Well after the photo shoot, I went to HQ and walked around and met everybody and Bedros gave us a tour, you know, and he knew I was I just purchased a fit body, so it made it ever you know, even more special. So Yeah. It, it just happened really fast. It just it went from a, a little bitty idea to, hey, I think I'm going to do this, to where major marital problems, which I did not want to happen. But I can tell you this truthfully. If I would have came home in January and, and sat my wife down and said, hey, I really think I need to change. I think, I'm, I, think I need to open up, open up a gym. We would not be sitting here having this conversation about me having a gym. Yeah. She would have never bought into it. I love her to death, and she knows it. It just... And I'm not saying go buy businesses behind your wife's back. That's not what I'm right. saying. I just think it worked out the way it was supposed to because had I done it the other way, which I'd really do try to do, I try to include my wife in every decision. Now, before I signed, before I, you know, before I put my signature on anything, her and I had come to agreement. She didn't like it, but she backed me. Yeah. And as we've gone through this process, if you follow social media, you can tell now she's all in. Like, yeah. She's in. She knows that it's going to be the right decision. She trusts me. She's just not risk. She's very risk adverse, and I'm not. I'm like, I'll yeah. figure it out. Move fast and figure it out, right? 
up to yeah, that point my wife in my and life. I are exactly the same. <laughs> and she's finally, she's finally like, it got to the point where uh, it wasn't until this summer, the beginning of this summer, that um, that we were we were in Colorado and, and I was driving around and uh, and I was talking about, you know, we really love Colorado Springs and and it's just growing fast and I was, you know, I've been talking about it for a while, but just say it so much. I think, uh, you know, I said, I said, just look at all these businesses. Like I've never even been to this, this <laughs> neighborhood before. And it's just huge. Like there's so many people here. We could start a business here. Like you could open a practice here and, and we could be here all summer. And, and that's the first time. And we've been married for, uh, for over 10 years. And that's the first time ever that she said, um, I trust you. I don't know how this is possible. I have no idea how it's going to work, but I trust you and I'll follow you, which is what every husband wants to hear. Absolutely. And, you know, and I mean, you know, and it comes with this amazing sense of gratitude for, you know, I am being the man that my wife needs right now. And then it's followed by, oh shit, I better be the man my wife thinks I am now you know, and, and all this, all this responsibility, uh, it's awesome that to get, to get that backing, to get absolutely, that and to know that, um, that you have done something in your life to show that you were a leader to your family, to the point that they will follow you, you know, because, you know, like you talk about in your story, definitely in my life, there was so many years when I mean, crap, I asked my wife out for seven years before she finally showed up. She said yes every time, but then she would cancel on me at the last minute. And thank God she didn't know that I was, you know, uh, deep in the throes of a meth addiction. And so that never would have worked out. I don't even, right. I mean, we wouldn't even have gotten through a date. And so, and so, you know, to, to know that like who I was and whatever I've done, now here I am. And there are people who not only depend on me, but who trust me to the point where they will follow me somewhere that makes them uncomfortable because they know that I will make it work. And, uh, and that's just an amazing feeling. And I'm really excited hey, for you that, I appreciate uh, that, that. that, that your wife, um, is on board. Her name's Leslie, right? Yes. That yeah, it took, on board uh, and, uh, it took some doing like that. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine if of... you had not joined battle ready. And you had not oh, gotten yeah. in that program, and then you had just shown up and been like, "You know what? I think I'm gonna open a gym." <laughs> yeah, we'd be divorced. We'd be. I, I, we, she would just been like, "Okay, this is your. You're crazy. I'm gonna suitcase. Good luck." Yeah. But you know, she's been a. She has been a trooper because I can understand it to a degree. You know, this had been the construction industry had been my whole life for a long time, and you know, I have a good career there, so. She she definitely had her points, and I'm very guilty of kind of if it's my vision, it's my vision, and there's not anything you're going to say or do to 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 block it. And I've had to work on that throughout this process. That's another little key that I've had to work on with her is being a better communicator because yeah. you know there's not only one human shares the same vision as me and that's me like i am the only one that has this set of eyes that sees the plan that knows the intangibles that i have to do to get there she's looking at it this you know from over here is not seeing any of that and i expect her to see it in the same way and that and that's 
that's not ever going to work. So I've had to learn to be a better communicator with her and others because I'm like, how do you not see this? (laughs) Yeah. So just a couple questions to kind of, to kind of wrap us up. What do you think framed, whether it's in your past or your present, um, what do you think frames how you approach fatherhood today? Also, what are the biggest influences in your life on how you approach fatherhood? Whether they're positive, negative at the time, you know, we can have negative influences that make us positive people. So, no, that's that's completely fair. Um, so, you know, like I said before, I had a lot of negative framing that, that for some reason I did not take heed to and and followed that same path of destruction that I kind of was exposed to. I think, to be honest with you, it's, I've seen a lot of good men that I've surrounded myself with now, and I have for the past over a year. So let's say the last 14 or 15 months of my life, I have surrounded myself with a very strong, good-willed human beings, and witnessing how they approach their family life, I think that that has resonated with me to a degree to where I'm able to talk about my deficiencies and then also listen to see how others handle it. And, you know, not just the glitz and glamour of the social media world, but digging a little deeper in past that and having the conversations about, hey, you know, how do, how do you do with your son or daughter? Or I guess is just trying to emulate my emulate the close people to me that I know are good fathers and trying to learn from that because Lord knows I've definitely not always been a good one. So I try to, I try to emulate those that I know to be good people and good fathers and take lessons from how they're doing it. I mean, it's, it's really kind of how I've allocated that in my brain. I don't want to copy what someone else is doing, but I want to take the practices that I see as pure and good because clearly the way that I was doing it was not always the greatest. I knew it wasn't. Like, I wasn't naive to that. I just didn't stop the train. I let the train keep going. So, you know, one is I've got to use that negativity and positively frame it. Like, everyone that knows me knows that I'm a good dad to my children. But I've not always been there for my children. Yeah. You know, but now... I try not to overdo to make up. It's just being present with them in the moment, giving them the time that they need or the space that they need, even though I don't want to give it. Like my youngest, I don't want to give her space. I want to, <laughs> I want her to be my buddy. And she's just like, nah, nah, fam. Nah. Her favorite is, nah, bruh. <laughs> I actually love that kids say that because that's how I talk to my kids. My oldest is eight, but I always say that. And when I go to my uh, my brother's house, his girls are 14 and 12, and, and they say, nah, bruh. And, and I just, I mean, it just reminds me of, uh, I don't know. It just, it just is endearing. I appreciate that. Now, if I ask my kids to come hang out with me and they say, nah, bruh, I think that'll be a different feeling. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Yeah. I got some time, I think. Right now, right now, I uh, I struggle to get space. So, oh, I understand uh, that. You know, eight, eight was great. I remember my youngest being eight, and she was on me, and then all of a sudden, literally, 
from eight to ten, it's just like, what happened? Yeah. Like you went from me not being able to breathe to get yeah. a second, and now I can't even get you to come downstairs. Damn. Right. <laughs> well, I got a four year old too, so okay. so I got I got yeah. some. Uh, sounds like I got about six years. There you and go. Then, Take advantage. So of then it. I'll have a uh, so then I have a ten year old, and I'll have a, a a teenager who who I don't want to be around anyway. <laughs> Man, I, I don't want to I don't want to get off this call without at least bringing up life by design. You know, I, I know that's not necessarily a public thing, but I think that it's a beautiful thing that you and Adam started. And what I find at this point to be really special about it is that you guys are, are putting your hearts into it and you're not asking for anything in return, which, which is what you said you wanted to do a few minutes ago. But I think that a lot of people say a lot of things and, and to, for me to be able to witness that in what you're doing before I hear you say it is, you know, just kind of backs up the genuine nature of what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so what, what brought that. you guys to do that? And it's not necessarily a, a, a public thing, although, um, you know, it's growing. So I don't know how private it is. Yeah, that's true. You know, there is a reason that group exists and it's because yeah. Basically, what Adam and I wanted to do was take exactly what you said. You know, there's not enough places for men to go to be men, period, or to just share wins, losses, be vulnerable, congratulate each other. We wanted to make it accessible to anybody. You know, it, it's it's just something that, you know, you've got a guy that's down on his luck. Invite him into this group. It's not going to cost him a thing. And when he gets there... If he wants to post, great. If he doesn't, that's okay too. But it's kind of been my purpose with the group, and Adam and I have a lot of conversations. Is I want to be as genuine as I can when I reply to something that somebody posts because I truly do mean the words that I say because I don't want to be, you know, live a life of falsity that I'm I'm saying one thing and living another way. I have to be cautious of that. But it's been so inspiring to me personally for all of the gratitude and all the just warm and generous stuff that happens in that little group you know it's just it's been good for me it's it takes up some time but so what it, it's for a good purpose and yeah. you know there's a lot of solid dudes in that group you know and and, and i've enjoyed it tremendously it's been a godsend for me and like i said to you earlier I never, we never dreamed it would have as much faith meaning as it does. That wasn't on our radar. So when I told my wife, I said, I, I think about 10 or 12 guys have bought this Bible that I put on there. And that's why, that's why I told you earlier, like, listen, I've been horrible Christian before in my life and I'm not the best one now, but I sure as hell, I'm trying to help a lot more. And I thought, how great is it that these guys are listening to me and picking these Bibles up and studying their Bibles. And, you know, this is the direction we were going to take the group, but look at the direction that it's swung. You know, it's not yeah. all about that, but, you know, we have made faith a big portion of what's what that's about. And I just think that's great. You know, I think yeah, I didn't see that coming. And right. to, to me, that's just one of the avenues that I think the Lord is using that, you know, can provide clarity because I learn something every single day reading the Bible. Right. I grew up in church through all the chaos and turmoil that I went through as a kid. I was taken to church 
And that's something else that I've not always been a good father about. And throughout all the years that I went to church, I never once understood or read the Bible like I should have, because at 47 years old, I read Ezekiel for the first time in my life, probably this morning, and learned things that I never knew existed in the Bible. And I thought, why did it take me 47 years to read the Bible? (laughs) So if I can help somebody start that journey earlier, and maybe they can find something in that passage that will help them get off a bad track, maybe that's the way the Lord will use it. I don't know. But the group's been a lot of fun. You know, I'm hoping we can continue to grow it and and keep keep it the way it is and allow guys in and just... I appreciate you bringing that up. It's been it's been good. Yeah, I think it's really powerful, man. You know, and, and we're talking before we started recording about, um, you know, the the statement about being the man that you needed, right? And that's just something that I heard one time that resonated with me, and something that, you know, as I try to 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 frame this podcast and anything that comes with it, you know, to to kind of filter it through that that lens of being the man that, that I needed and sometimes being the man I need, you know, which is what I get out of this by, by getting a chance to, to talk to some people who I really appreciate. And so in all of that, and then going back to your comment about, you know, if there had been a group of alpha, like full circle, here you are being that man without, without, you know, verbalizing that being that man, for others who you needed, who you, you came up with on your own that you would have listened to at that time when you needed it. And and so I think that is what what influences somebody to pick up that Bible is that they see in you someone who's successful, someone who there's a certain amount of I don't give a shit in a positive way that comes with saying I have a good paying job. I could ride this out and do really well and it's not what I'm passionate about. So I'm not doing it. And I think there's a lot more that goes into that thought process than I think people realize no matter how risk averse you may be, you know, for me, I made the decision in 2017 to stop practicing law. It took me until 2021 to stop taking clients because you build a career. And the easy path is just to sit back and say, I'm going to keep doing something that I can do in my sleep right? and, uh, and collecting that check. The hard path is saying, this is completely unfulfilling. I can't stand what I'm doing, no matter how much money I'm getting. And I know God wants more for me and I trust God, you know, and I'm going to go find out what it is, even though I don't know what it is. And so for men to see that in you, that you're willing to follow your passion and that you are an alpha and that you're out there and you're hard charging and you're working hard and you're going to do this for your family. Like, I don't think anybody doubts whether or not you're going to be able to make it successful. And they see this and then they see you wake up and say, here's what I learned about God and my faith in Jesus Christ today. And I want to share this with you. And, and I think that resonates with people because they realize that if they want what you have, then they got to do what you do and part of what you do is exercise that faith and um and so you know maybe that's what it's all about maybe that's what all this stuff that brought you to the person that you are today you know at least 
in the sense of where we are right now, because we both know there's so much more growth to come for both of us. But like, maybe that's what it was all about. So that you can be the dad today that your parent, that your kids need today. And so that you can be the man today that these other men need today. And so that you can be the man tomorrow for whoever comes through your path tomorrow. And, and I think that's really amazing. You know, they say, uh, I don't know the quote, so I'm not even going to try it, but something about, (laughs) about men, about men dying, you know, but not being buried until they're like, they die when they're 30, but they aren't buried until they're 80 or whatever, you know, because it's a, it's an internal death and they're just kind of going through the motions and not knowing what they're doing. You know, that's a good, I got a good quote for you on that. I had to look at my notes. It, Cause it goes along with what you're saying. It's one of my favorite ones. I don't remember where I got it from. It's I don't ha- I should have it memorized, but I don't. It says, uh, "Don't desire another man's harvest until you are willing to sow his seeds." Right? Yeah. Which goes exactly to what you're saying, and and I hope that emulation that that I am, you know, I'm picking up from other men. I'm seeing, and I want to do it. So I hope that because that's what I used to be guilty of is I wanted it, but I was unwilling to do the work. So that's why I find joy in sharing. And I have to make sure that it doesn't come off because my wife or others have said, man, it comes off as being boastful. And I said, I promise you with all my heart, I am not boasting about anything. I want to show people that this is the work that I'm willing to do to get to where I want to be. What are you willing to do is on to you. But these are the steps yep. that I'm willing to take to get to this, right? And we all know that 10X is up here. 100X yeah. is up here. But that that statement just resonated with me. Is don't, you know, don't always think the grass is greener on the other side. Or But that would just hit home with me is, you know, don't expect to have his harvest unless you sow the same seeds that man harvests. So, yeah. And I, and, and I, I would challenge the idea that that's boastful because I think that you have a responsibility to anyone who's listening to you as you're speaking about it, to be honest about what it takes, because otherwise you're leading someone down the wrong path. If you, if you try to make it seem like, like, Hey, all you have to do is wake up and go through the motions and, and you can make this happen. Um, I think that's dishonest. That's uh, very true. You know, I, I, when I started my own law practice, it happened way faster than it should have. And I give that all to God. Like too many things fell into place so fast that that aren't going to fall into place 90% of the time. And so when people would ask me, you know, like, I want to start my own practice. What do you do? I would tell them those words because... Uh, some of it, I don't know, man. Like, I don't right. know what's normal because, I mean, I went to rent my first office and the lady said, I just want you to know this building's for sale, so it could be sold. And I said, well, how much is it for sale for? And she told me and the freaking building was for sale. And I mean, prime location. Uh, buildings for sale for a mortgage would have cost exactly what the current rent was bringing in. So it's a free building. And like, where's the, you don't get, like it was a, a 5,000 square foot free building in a prime location with a giant sign on a main road. And, uh, and that doesn't happen. And had I not bought that building, you know, I don't know if my business would have happened like it did, but I mean, I just just got a giant building and a giant sign. Uh, and I had like two clients. So like, that's, that's just not normal stuff. Right. But if I don't tell people that, then everybody thinks 
that this is normal. Right. And I, I'm sure people are like, oh, you're just, you're just full of yourself. But I mean, I'm just being honest because I don't want you to, to think that, that everything's easy. And I think that if you don't tell people how hard you work to get the things that you're getting and how much you're invested mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically into it, then you're doing them a disservice by, uh, by leading them on because there's too many people in the society and at least in America who think life should be easy and who think that it's just easy to come by and I can look at what you're doing and I can say, Hey, like if you can do it and this is anybody, like I look at Bedros and I think if Bedros can do this, then I can do it. Absolutely. Um, I might not do it with the flair and it's going to take a shit ton of work, but I can do it. Um, I don't, sit around and think, all right, Bedros got this and he did this. So all I have to do is sit around and wait and it's just going to come to, you know, and if Bedros didn't talk about how hard it is, then I think he'd be doing a disservice too. So I, I, I would challenge it as it's boastful. I think you're doing the right thing by, by being honest and saying, you know, this is how hard I work. And if you work this hard, then you can do it too. Nope. I agree with that. And I think that comes, that comes along with fatherhood too, man. I think, uh, that's one of the things that gets lost is that just like marriage, being a good dad takes intentionality and and it takes work. It takes more than, you know, than just having kids and going to work and buying them dinner. And then, like you said, going and drinking. Like right. you gotta, you gotta put in the effort to have the relationships that you want with your kids and put in the effort that you, to build the children into, like to set them up for the success that um that you want them to have and on that note shane i apologize because i'm having so much fun and i do not want to cut it off but if i don't leave right now my kids are not going to get picked up from school you better get your kids picked so, up uh, i hope we can do this again because uh because i have i wrote down so many things that i'm not even getting to so i hope that uh that you know they'll give me another opportunity Absolutely, sometime in man. the future to uh, to get you back on maybe after fit bodies up and running and and we can talk about how much fun you're having and, and how you know it was the right choice and, and where God's led you to that point. That sounds wonderful, man. I appreciate it very much. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we can definitely do it again. Cool. Well, I appreciate you.